0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 7. We're going to get into a little bit of Judges chapter 8 this morning. Book of Judges. In Judges chapter 7, there's an interesting phrase. It's found in verse 20. And the phrase is at the end of that verse where it says, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. This was not Gideon's sword. This is a Civil War sword that my brother-in-law had. It became mine in his estate. The sword's an interesting weapon. It's a close quarters weapon. You usually don't stand a long way away from people and throw swords at them. That's not very effective. It's a weapon that needs to be yielded with great skill. Because if you're up against an opponent who has a sword, who's thrusting and sparring with you, you'd better have some skill in order to defeat that opponent. But it's a weapon that is very effective. Can cause a lot of damage. People can get hurt with these things. God used Gideon to defeat an army made up of the Midianites. We'll talk about that. And the description of what God used is found here in Judges chapter 7 where it says, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now the word sword is used four times here in Judges chapter 7. And in none of those instances does it say that Gideon had a sword. Which I think is interesting. Some of you are trying to read through your Bibles to find sword in chapter 7, aren't you? Let me give it to you. Verse 14. Gideon goes down to the camp and a guy has dreamed a dream and he's telling his buddy about his dream. And in verse 14 of chapter 7 it says, And his comrade answered, There is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And that's the testimony of a Midianite. The next time the word sword is used, and it's only used if you have a King James, is verse 18. And the end of that verse, if you have a King James, says, For the sword of the Lord and for Gideon, if you have an ESV like I have, it just says, For the Lord and for Gideon. We read about it in verse 20. Verse 20. And the last time it's used is in verse 22 when Gideon and his 300s blow the trumpets and the Midianites have every sword set against themselves. It's the only time that the word sword is used in this passage of Scripture. And it never says that Gideon used a sword. I think that interesting. But what it does say is that the weapon that was used to defeat the Midianites came from the Lord and was that which empowered Gideon to defeat the enemy. Can I stop right there and just say this? God has given us the weapons necessary for us to defeat any enemy in our lives. In fact in Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about the armor It talks about the sword of the spirit being the word of God. And God has given to you and God has given to me everything that is necessary so that we can win the battle that we face. Whatever that is in your life. Just understand that the battle is the Lord's. And you and I can depend upon the offensive weapons that God has given to us To defeat the enemy. Now, you and I need to be skilled in using these offensive weapons. We need to know how to handle the weapons God has given to us. But it's his weapon. One thing I like about this weapon is it's not very sharp. I don't have to worry about it. God's weapons are sharp. And we can depend upon Him. Now I want to look at sword throughout these two chapters, All right, And I want to see how you and I can use what God has given to us to be able to win the battles in which we find ourselves. As we look at sword we first of all recognize that society is in trouble. Go back to chapter 6, will you please? Judges chapter 6 verse 1. The Book of Judges is a book that describes seven economic, social, political, political and religious ups and downs in the nation Israel. They discover that they are far from God. They cry out to God. God sends a deliverer. Defeats the enemies. And then they discover they are far from God. We'll see that in this passage of Scripture. And for the sixth time in Judges we discover according to verse 1 in chapter 6 that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You'd have thought that they had learned their lesson. You would have thought that they understood the only place of safety was next to their God. But here again we read that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Society is in trouble. The Midians are there. And we won't take time to look into the text, but in the text we discover that the Midians were taking advantage of the Israelites. They'd taken away their food sources, they'd taken away all of their water sources. They were ruling and dominating the people. Israel was struggling, Israel was starving, Israel was looking for some kind of relief, and they weren't finding it. And the reason they weren't finding it is because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Every once in a while I will hear someone use the phrase, God bless you. Sometimes it's after somebody sneezes. God bless you. You know, in order for God to bless you, in order for God to bless me, we must be in a place of God's blessing. God's blessing does not automatically come upon us in everything that we do because God blesses us as we act according to His Word. God blesses us as we follow His truth. God blesses us as we please Him. And what has He told us? He's told us to be holy, right? God has told us as new creatures, old things are passing away, behold, all things are becoming new. God has told us not to love this world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. God has told us not to conform ourselves to this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so the reality is that society is in trouble. I was talking with one of our young couples this, this week who just got engaged. And the gal says, my coworkers can't understand why my fiance and I aren't living together. After all, shouldn't engagement be a trial period? Check these things out because you don't know if you're compatible. I said to her, have your co-workers look around and look at the world and see how it's working out for them. If we want to be blessed, we've got to be in a place of God's blessing. And the people of Israel for the sixth time in Judges did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God sent Midian. God sent Midian to rule in their lives and to be a judge. Don't you love Second Chronicles 7.14? You ought to be nodding even if you don't know what it is because it's in the Bible. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will restore their land. Isn't that a great promise? Two verses later. 2 Chronicles 7 says this. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. I will cast you out of my sight. I will make it a proverb and a byword among the peoples. If you'll, if you don't, if you'll, if you won't, This is an illustration of won't. Remember what Jesus called us? He called us salt and light. Right? You are the salt of the earth. But then he said if the salt has lost its seasoning power, what's it good for? Nothing. Might as well throw it out and make a roadbed out of it. of the world, right? A city set on the hill cannot be hidden but men don't do what? Put their lights under a basket. Why not? Because one of two things will happen. Either the light will go out or the basket will catch on fire. I'd like to see baskets on fire. Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. It was Edmund Burke who said, All that is necessary for evil to triumph is that for good men to do nothing. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with our society. How about you? I struggle with our culture, right? How's our light? How's our salt doing? That's all it takes. And what happened? The Lord gave them up to Midian for seven years. Now, who were the Midianites? After Sarah passed away, Abraham remarried. Her name was Keturah. And Abraham had five sons with Keturah, and one of them's name was Midian. Midian. Do you remember when Moses fled Pharaoh? Do you remember where he went? He went to Midian. And you remember who his father-in-law was? Jethro, right? Who was a Midianite. Well, toward the end of the 40 years wandering, the children of Israel, the Midianites allied themselves with the Moabites. They did this in an attempt to exterminate God's people, the Israelites. For that reason, Moses was ordered by God to punish the Midianites. And he dispatched against them an army of 12,000 men. Force defeated the Midianites and slew all of their males, including their five kings. Once we get to Judges chapter 6, we discover that the Midianites had aligned themselves with the Amalekites, children of the east, and they opposed the Israelites. They destroyed their crops, reduced them to extreme poverty, and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel, having crossed the Jordan. That's where we are right here. Now, I think it interesting what the children of Israel Look with me at verse 7, will you please? And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Mennonites. For the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. We don't know his name. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel I led you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of all who opposed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have disobeyed my voice. Here we are. sword is an offensive weapon. And if we're going to use it, we need to realize that our society is in trouble. And as the people cried out to the Lord, God heard their cry. There's only one other time in Scripture when the phrase is used, the people cried out to the Lord. It was as the people were leaving Egypt. And you remember they came up against an obstacle called the Red Sea. And you remember who was behind them? All of the Egyptians. All of Pharaoh's armies. And the scripture says the people cried out to the Lord. Aren't you thankful that when you and I find ourselves in trouble, we can cry out to the Lord? Aren't you thankful that no matter what's going on in our lives, we can cry out to our Lord? Jeremiah 33 says, call unto me, and I will answer thee and show you great mighty things which you know not. Woohoo! We can cry out to our God. And that's exactly what happened here. The people found themselves under the domination of Midian. Everything was gone. And they cried out to the Lord. You know, it's too bad that many times we wait until everything's gone before we cry out to the Lord. Maybe we'd be better off if we cried out a little earlier. The people cried out to the Lord. And notice what God does, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrimanth of Ophrah, which belonged to Josiah, the angel of the Lord. The ways of God are not our ways. God sent an angel. If you want an interesting study, study angels in the Bible. You'll discover something about seraphims. Isaiah saw the seraphim as they were around the throne crying, Holy, 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 it's the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You'll discover something about cherubims. And it's the cherubims that God used in a very special way. to speak to his people. Gabriel is the angel as well as Michael that is listed specifically in the Bible. And here we have the angel of the Lord. I want you to underline that phrase in your Bible, please. There are many theologians that believe when the angel of the Lord is identified, it's a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. And this may be the pre-incarnate, pre-in-flesh person of Christ, second of the Trinity, Son of God, who appears to Gideon. Now, I want you to note something about this angel. Did you see that he's just sitting there waiting for something to happen? Did you note that? I think that's interesting. I'd think if I were Gideon, I'd notice if there was an angel around me, wouldn't you? But he's just sitting there. Some translation says he's sitting under an oak tree. And as he is sitting there, we understand that he's going to speak to Gideon. Look with me at verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now he repeats that in verse 16. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. Now I want you to notice something here. The angel says to Gideon specifically, I'm with you. calls him a mighty man of valor. Now you and I know from the... Analogy that Gideon is secretly trying to get some food from the Midianites. And there's a much made about how Gideon looks around and says, you talking to me, mighty man of valor? And the angel spoke to him. And it's interesting to me that as the angel spoke to him, he said, the Lord is with you. Aren't you thankful that the Lord is with each of us individually? That he never leaves us nor forsakes us. So that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear what man shall do to me. Aren't you thankful for that? Now, Gideon misinterprets this a little bit jump to verse 13 6:13 And Gideon said to him, "Please, sir, if the Lord is with us You see the pronoun change? If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our God, that our fathers recounted to us saying, "Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the smite of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? All of the angel would have had to do is said, But Gideon, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. But Gideon's trying to figure this out. The Lord's with you. Well, if he's with us, why does all this stuff happen to us? Then the angel says, Gideon, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. Today is Father's Day. Dads, God is going to use you in some very special ways to impact your world for his glory. Dads, God has his hand upon you, mighty men of valor, wielders of swords, and God will use you for a great victory for his glory. Never forget that God uses individuals. Oh, God can't use me. Yeah, He can. And yeah, He will. But I want you to know that many times the ways of God are different. And we have an angel here who sat underneath the tree, who spoke to Gideon, who stayed with Gideon, who instructed Gideon, who set fire to Devour the sacrifice that Gideon offered, and who satisfied Gideon when he said, Peace be to you, verse 23 of chapter 6. That's what the angel of God will do. You know, the ways of God are different, but they're always the best. May I just remind you what God used to defeat the Midian army? You know it. Started out with an army of 32,000. We read this in chapter 7. Said to the army, if you're afraid, go home. A third of the army, 10,000 out of 32,000 went home. God said there's still too many. And do you remember why God said there were too many? God said there were too many because if all of these people are used to defeat the Midianites, then you won't realize that I did it. You'll take credit for it yourselves. And so God said, send them down to the river and see how they drink. And you know that Gideon ended up with 300 people. 1% of the 32,000. And that's what God used to defeat the Midianites. And God used the sword of the Lord and of Gideon to accomplish it in his life. So what was the key? The key was obedience. Look with me at verse 27 of chapter 6, will you please? So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. Underline that in your Bibles, will you please? Did as the Lord had told him. Has God ever told you to do something that you didn't do? Has God ever impressed on your heart a responsibility that he wanted you to have that you didn't fulfill? You see, obedience is the key here. And Gideon did as God told him to do. Can you imagine Gideon arguing with God about the 32,000? But God... We need all these guys. And then it got down to 22,000. But God, we need all these guys. And then it got down to 300. But God, we need some weapons here. And you tell us to go out with a trumpet and a pitcher and some fire in it. That's what they had in their hands. thing that God used to defeat the Midianites were a blow, a break, and a burn. That almost preached, wouldn't it? And God turned each of the Midianites' sword against themselves. But had Gideon not obeyed, it wouldn't have happened. I look back at my life and I think of all the times that I gave God excuses for not doing what I knew He wanted me to do. Have you been there? Done that? And I think back and I think, oh, what would have happened if I'd just done what God told me to do? Aren't you thankful that we have a God who is the God of the second chance? (laughs) And now I think, what will God do as I do what he tells me to do? And I get excited about that. Because I can't go back, but I can go forward. I have a sign in my office that says, quit looking behind you, you're not going that way. If you're discouraged today because of what might have been, you're not going that way. Look ahead to see what God has for you. See what God wants to do with you. To see how God wants to use you. Don't spend so much time looking back, you're not going that way. We're going this way. Obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to our society, our former lust and our ignorance, but being holy because He's called us to be holy. That's the way we're going. Obedience is the key. But you know something? If we're going to fight with a sword, there are some risks that are going to be involved. Think of what Gideon risked. In the text he was risking his life as he was trying to get a little sustenance for his family hiding from the Midianites. God told him to go and tear down the altar to Baal. He did that. That was a great risk. Remember the fleece? He said, God, i got to know that you're with me. I'm going to put this fleece out. And if you'll make it wet while the rest of the ground is dry, I'll know you're with me. And then he took a risk. He said, okay, God, let's do it the other way around and just see what happens. Can you imagine the risk? God told him to go down to the camp of Midian because... He was going to hear about a dream. God sent him out with 300 to defeat a full army. That was a risk. If we are going to live biblically effective lives in this culture, you're going to risk some things. Dads, if you are going to lead your families to righteousness, it's going to take a risk. But may I remind you that God's word says train up a child in the way in which he will go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. But he's not going to be popular, it's a real risk. But the reality is, defeat is not an option. Defeat is not an option. Children of Israel were starving. They were slaves. And yet God wanted to give them great victory. Defeat is not an option. Let me challenge you this afternoon to go home and read Ephesians, beginning with verse 10 through verse 18. And it tells us there that we're in a battle. Wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. rulers of darkness this age, spiritual wickedness and height. We're in a battle. Defeat is not an option. But we can put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to win the battle. Defeat is never an option. You can't lie down and die. And so, as disgusted as you get, as discouraged as you get, understand that victory comes from God. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? If you go into chapter 8, You discover that the children of Israel didn't do so hot. May we go there real quickly? Judges chapter 8. Gideon defeats an enemy. According to verse 21, he takes some ornaments from the necks of the camels. These were very valuable, jeweled ornaments. If you look at verse 26, it says that the weight of the earrings that he requested from the people was 170 shekels. That's about 42 pounds. And he makes an ephod. Now, an ephod is a spiritual vestment that the priests wore. It had the Urim and the Turim on it. And, and they were designed to, to show us God's presence and to determine God's will. I understand. People have just won a great battle. Verse 27, chapter 8. And Gideon made an ephod of it. It's of all those garments and vestures and gold. And put it in his city, in Orphra. And all Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon. And to his family. Wow. And yet, if you read the next verse, God gave them 40 years of peace. And God gracious and merciful. Even when we don't get it right, and they didn't get it right, God's grace and God's mercy never ends. So where are we? The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This thing's heavy. It would take some great strength to wield this effectively. And the Bible says, be strong in the power of the Lord and in His might. Yep. That's the only way it's going to work. being reminded it's the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It's the sword of the Lord and of you and of me. Effective to be the kind of people that God wants us to be.